Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about Jesus' parable, the wheat and the weeds. Scott, so we're jumping back into these parable conversations where we've been talking with the different members of the Masters of Arts and New Testament cohort, where we've been working on this project to write accessible prose for the people of the church, for pastors who um, will be communicating these, um, where we're translating you know, some of this great research that there is about the parables and into um really useful ways for it to bless the church. So we've got a few more students on here today and talking about their parables. So you want to introduce these students and we can jump right into the conversation. Yeah, we are looking at these parables from the angle of how Jesus was getting his disciples to imagine uh, a world where the kingdom was beginning to take root in this world, where they were beginning to live out kingdom realities. And as a result, each parable... Uh, provokes a whole different set of ideas, uh, imaginations, and visions for how we can follow Jesus in our world today. And today we have two uh, very good students at Northern Seminary, Corey Farr, who's from the East Coast, and Justin Gill, who's from uh, the Southern Midwest. Is that is that a fair statement? Is Is Missouri the Southern Midwest? Um, a lot of people consider it the South. Yes. The South. Okay. Yeah. All right. It depends so, what, uh, who us from Missouri want it to be, I guess, is, <laughs> is really how it comes down yeah. for that day. <laughs> and in some contexts, being from the South, uh, is going to get you in trouble and in others, it's going to be an entree to the finest table in the house. So, <laughs> uh, so we will, uh, just say, um, that both Corey, uh, both uh, Justin and Chaz went to Ozark Christian College. Is that right? That's the right t- name? Yeah. Yeah, we had a and number of classes together, too. <laughs> in Joplin, Missouri. And Corey uh, is more from the East Coast, the New England. and yep, Southern uh, New Hampshire. Yep. Southern New Hampshire. They've come together on the parables of, of the wheat, wheat and weeds, although the exact title of this parable changes according to translations because Jesus did not give his parables titles. He just told these stories. And this is a great parable uh, that is pretty simply seen as a a farmer uh, having a a field in which he plants wheat and then uh, later discovers there to be weeds. And Jesus uses this in almost in an iconic like fashion for us to imagine um, the world as invaded by the kingdom of God and imagine for us to live in that kingdom in such a way that we stand out as odd or unusual or new and fresh in our world today. So I'm going to begin with Corey and ask him if he could summarize um, how he understands the basic big idea of the parable. I, but I should back up. One of the secrets to parable interpretation is not to get lost in details until you figured out the big idea. But many times you have to get lost in the details to figure out the big idea. But once you figure out the big idea, starting there really helps. And we've all learned 
that Klein Snodgrass's mammoth book called Stories with Intent is a, just a fantastic resource for pastors and for leaders and for any Bible students who are interested in reading about the parables. So with that, I want to turn it over to Corey for his response on how this parable uh, can be understood. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, I do definitely owe a lot to Snodgrass here because he, uh, unlike some other commentaries that use, sort of refuses to just quickly moralize uh, and and you know apply it, and really does the work of dealing with other texts and historical interpretation and things like that. Yeah. For me, though, the the big idea here really just comes down to. I wrestled with this for a while, actually, and it sort of hit me all at once, although Snodgrass says it multiple times, but it wasn't until my third read-through that I, it really hit me that this parable is not uh, an ecclesiology, it's a theodicy. And so what I mean by that, and what Snodgrass really means by that, is that this parable is not trying to describe what's going on in the church. Uh, historically, Augustine and others have interpreted it as, oh, this is just the statement that even in the church we'll have uh, good and evil, and that's not true. Um, and, good of course, and, and good people and bad people. Good people and bad people. Now, of course, yeah. we're going to have, not everyone in the church is going to be perfect, but that's not the point of this parable. Uh, and it's, so it's not, a, it's not a theology of the church, and it's also not a strategy for the church. It's not a question of what are we to do about evil. Uh, it's been also interpreted as sort of a passive approach of, oh, well, evil's out there and we don't do anything about it. Um, but it, that's not what's going on here. It's a theodicy, which is trying to answer the question of evil and pain and suffering. So the question is, remember, this is a kingdom parable. And the question is, how can the kingdom be present when there's still so much evil out there? You look at contemporary expectations, and we have plenty of texts uh, from writings at Qumran and uh, another one. Um, apocryphal text called the Psalms of Solomon, and the Messiah is expected to come along and bring the kingdom. And when he does that, Psalms of Solomon says he will not tolerate unrighteousness among them. The alien, the foreigner, these will not, no longer even live near them. So uh, the idea of the kingdom coming was a purging, and uh, and that the, the burning of the chaff that occurs at the end of Jesus's parables at the time of judgment was expected to come when the Messiah showed up. Uh, so here we have this really radical vision of the kingdom is present and evil is still here. So it's sort of this already not yet, but we can be comforted knowing that judgment is coming. Um, but that is also not an excuse. I mean, the rest of Jesus's ministry, if we don't take this in isolation, does not teach us to just sort of sit back and do nothing about the evil that we see in the world. Yeah, that's very good, Corey. Uh, I I like. I I don't think I've seen that language. I maybe, maybe Snodgrass said this that it's a it's not an ecclesiology but a theodicy, uh, and so those are posed then as uh, sort of Bartian absolute alternatives. It's probably uh, a theodicy that has impact on ecclesiology as well. But the, 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 the Augustinian interpretation, and it's very common because I hear it, uh, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on the parable of the weed and weeds in which the preacher did not assume 
what's called the corpus mixtum interpretation, and that is in the church there will be people who are good and there will be people who are bad. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever heard one that actually deals with it as a theodicy um, mm-hmm. of the arrival of the kingdom. Uh, and it it's it unnerves me because I know that many of the people that I've heard preach this um, were educated at seminaries where they read George Eldon Ladd's Theology of the New Testament, or they were supposed to, and uh, they would have been, it would have been blatantly clear that the corpus mixtum parable uh, theory doesn't work with how the parable itself is told. Um, mm-hmm. This is not about, uh, uh, the parable makes it explicitly clear that this is not about the church. The field is not the church. The field is the world. Mm -hmm. So this is the mixture of kingdom people and non-kingdom people in the world, not the mixture of kingdom and non-kingdom people in the church. It's right there, but uh, it it hasn't stopped people from from, uh, reading it that way. So um, you did a very good job explaining that, and I think that you're really uh, the use of the Psalms of Solomon there is is significant because it is clear that in the uh, Jewish expectation, and and we see this many ways with John the Baptist as well, mm-hmm. is that there was uh, when the kingdom came, when the kingdom arrived, when the kingdom arrives, there will be a purgation, a purging of all wickedness uh, from from the land, and even John the Baptist's father, Zechariah's prayer in Luke chapter 1 is very much along this line. So this connection of kingdom arrival and elimination of evil is very, very important, and this parable says, well, let's hang on a bit. So, all right, with all that, we turn it over to Justin now, because I think Justin will have his own little contributions or significant contributions or corrections and criticisms. Um, well, I really enjoyed Snodgrass quite a bit uh, when he looked at the Qumran text and later rabbinic texts, and he talked about how Israel in that time really saw themselves as uh, good against evil, and there's no way of taking uh, the weeds as probably their thought process about Israel. Uh, most likely, they saw themselves as the kingdom of light. And there was some evil mixed into that, that they had to um, someday the coming of the kingdom would be cleansed from the people. I think he even uses a a later rabbinic text to talk about how um, different people from the different nations will say um, Israel, the nations were made for Israel or this world was made for Israel. And he says it a couple of different times. And then the rabbi says, but Israel responds to them, you know, juxtaposing true Israel to them. Uh, this is what the world is supposed to be like. God is making the world uh, a place for us and he'll make it so at the end of time. And so I really appreciated Snodgrass's um, teaching just about the way the world was then. I think Corey's absolutely right. There's no way of taking this as purely a way of understanding the church. Uh, This is really about Jesus teaching what the kingdom is like and how we can trust God to bring about that kingdom and cleanse that kingdom at the coming of the end of the age. Okay, now, so, um, and and I think you're both on the same page on this. And both of you have illustrated uh, how this parable works in its Jewish world. I'm going to ask 
and maybe even try to provoke a conversation here about verse 29. When the servants uh, asked the farmer, do you want us to go out to go and pull the weeds up? The farmer says, no, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. All right, I'm, I'm going to propose a theory. Uh, whether I believe it or not doesn't matter. And it's, and it's th this idea that uh, this is actually uh, an early version of a sort of Anabaptist or pacifist, not a, uh, not a quietist uh, in the sense that we do nothing, but a pacifist attitude toward the world and its evil uh, rather than an activist attitude toward the world. And uh, is this, do you guys think that this parable could be teaching pacifism in these very words? Who wants to? Let's make Justin talk first this time. Um, yeah, I think that what Jesus is doing here is he is proposing a way of interacting with the evil of the nations and the evil, even in the perceptions of some Jews of the people of God who are colluding with the nations to oppress the people or to bring that evil into the community. Um, he's proposing that we don't say have that. To say that again. Um, uh, say what you just said there uh, in a few more words. Uh, I like the idea and I'm going to hear it again. <laughs> uh, I think what Jesus is proposing is a different way of interacting with the nations who are seen as evil and interacting with the way in which some Jewish groups would view other Jews as evil for colluding with the nations, uh, for oppressing the people, for helping them stay as rulers of the people. And I think this is where like relationships with tax collectors, Herodians, um, some thought process of the Sadducees and the temple and their agreement with the Romans um, and giving tribute and things like that would play into this, that some groups saw not just the nations as evil, but the collusion of some in Israel with the nations as Israel. So and the weeds, so the weeds in this parable may not just be Gentiles, it's evil people, and those evil people would include any Jews who are cooperating with Rome, um, so the Sadducees, maybe even the Zealots, maybe the Zealots are the ones who want to rip things up. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, all right, so I, I like, I think, is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think, think that's that the, good. I think the response that Jesus is saying to these kinds of evil people is not that it's our job to cleanse them of the people. It's not our job to cleanse the nations and stop their uh, evil oppression over the people of God. And it's not necessarily our job to correct people who either willingly or unwillingly are colluding with people that we think are not helpful to the kingdom of God. But our job is to recognize uh, that they might be there and that we're going to do our mission, the mission that Jesus gave to us and learn to live in this world as he taught us nonetheless. All right. Corey, you have anything to add to that? Uh, on this parable as a sort of proto Anabaptist pacifist theology or <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's, probably anachronistic to call it Anabaptist, but of course, uh, of course. 
But in light of the first Baptist, John the Baptist, and sort of the maybe the more potential for not necessarily in the text directly, but knowing like movements at that time in history, the potential for the inclination towards sort of the zealot reaction, the violent reaction when when you when you're talking about kingdom movements uh, and the attempt to sort of bring it in by violence, uh, I think Justin's totally right. I agree there. Um, in terms of that this parable offers a different way. I mean, I think it's interesting that the servants are and the harvesters are called the angels and the people of God are called the good seed. So the direction that the father or that the farmer gives to the servants is not necessarily, I mean, if we want to stick very strictly with Jesus's own allegorical interpretation, he gives us that he's not telling the church not to pull up the weeds because the church is not the harvesters. Um, so he's not necessarily commenting directly on our our practice in the world. At least that's how I take it. It's more of an explanation of why evil is left in the world. So I guess, I mean, I think generally if you put this in the context of the rest of Jesus' teachings um, in the Gospel of Matthew, you see a nonviolent um response and a nonviolent way of defeating evil uh, yeah, so, ultimately on the and, cross. And, yes, uh, perfectly. And, and, but I would say that violence here is, is pushing the language a little too hard in one direction. Uh, violence, I think, uh, could be a part of the, of the equation, but it, it, it has to do with coer- purgation and purging and the servants come to the farmer and they want to purge the field. Let's just say purge. Now, how they purge it, it could be the zealotic option of, uh, of, uh, of violence. It could be the Essene option of total withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think purgation could be understood or purging the, uh, the field could be understood in a variety of ways. Um, but, Uh, Let's just say this, that yes, the servants become in the parable, the angels, in a sense, they become the harvesters. But clearly, I I would say that maybe you would disagree that what the angels are told to do implicitly at at least is what the disciples are also supposed to do. So that there is a bit of a moral instruction in this parable that the followers of Jesus's responsibility is not to force purging and clean the house as it were, but to learn to, to exist, coexist with, uh, the world, however you want to define it, that world, uh, as they live out the kingdom life. Corey, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's part. Yeah, that's really good. I, I, um, had some notes here on that because, uh, the other option would be an, and nonviolent, you know, Anabaptist theology traditionally uh, can be very tempted to take this option of withdrawal, much like they did in Qumran, and this idea that, okay, we're not violently purging, but we are getting out of the world. Yeah, yeah we're damning the world by leaving the world. Yeah, so the kingdom yeah. is here, and it's here because we've gotten away from all the evil people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the sons of darkness, they would call them. Yeah. And uh, that is not presented in this parable at all. It's sort of, it is a coexistence. We're living among them. The weeds and the wheat uh, are intermixed and uh, early, they're often indistinguishable, which is why he told them they couldn't pull them up. Uh, This was like this weed 
most scholars agree was called Darnell, which is, or Darnell, I don't quite know how to pronounce it, but it, you know, it was very, looked so similar to wheat that it would be dangerous to try to pull it up. Uh, and I think that point is really highlighted when you consider that twice in the Gospel of Matthew, this same language or similar language from this parable is used to, ref to reference the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. So chapter 3, verses 7 and following, John the Baptist in his uh, polemic against the Pharisees um, says that the one who's coming after me comes to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he says his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't directly say Pharisees there, but it's only two verses after he's been uh, having his polemic against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then in chapter 15, um, 12 and 13, the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this parable? And he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Yeah. So if you consider that there's these two other sects of Judaism with different ideologies are kind of being called weeds, then it is yeah. definitely, it's a coexistence. It's not a Qumranian, let's get out of here. Yeah. It's they're the false people of God. Very well done. Good interpretation skills there too, Corey. Uh, Justin, any any comments on this? Well, I mean, I think exactly what Corey just pointed out here is how we can see this going from a theodicy thought process in its Jewish context to how the early church looked at this parable as an internal church conversation. Because mm -hmm. by its nature, this conversation in a Jewish context is still an internal Israel conversation. Which sect of Israel um, is good? Which sect of Israel is wheat and which is weeds? We all kind of look the same, but which one of us is true? Which ones have compromised with evil in the world? Which ones of us have stayed true you know, to God? And you can see how that conversation can easily be transposed into the church then of which Christians are true Christians, which Christians are right Christians, and how do we root them out? Um, and so you can see how that does transpose, you know, in time to those two different contexts. And it's still kind of, you know, faithful to the intention, which yeah. it is um, when it comes to people doing evil in the community or doing being evil in the kingdom of God or being evil in this world, our posture isn't like what you said, to root them out, uh, to cleanse this world or the kingdom or our churches of these particular people we find evil but rather trust God, rely on God, be patient, uh, and wait for him to, to make the change, hopefully in repentance. But in an ultimate sense, he will deal with this issue uh, and cleanse his people. I, I do wonder, though, the more the weeds become other Jews who are not living according to Jesus, I wonder then if, if it is actually that pushes the whole parable's interpretation in the direction of the ecclesiology view or the corpus mixtum view, that the application then would be inner dynamic rather than, let's say, if it was Israel versus the world, it becomes an, a tighter parallel or analogy of the church in the world. But if it's Israel's various sectarian groups, then it becomes a little bit more, uh, which denomination is the most faithful? Hmm. <laughs> Then yeah. you got then you got a problem. You got you got Satan sowing uh, weeds, and and you're going to say that uh, 
one denomination is sown by Satan and and we're the we're the ones that are sown by God. Let's let's not get let's not get too close to that. Um, the uh, one of the uh, in, uh, significances of all the parables of Jesus is he never leaves people alone. Um, because in the in a parable like this, uh, it is normal for us to say, "Oh, I am so grateful that I'm one of the wheat and I'm not the weeds." That's how uh, we pat ourselves on the back whenever we hear a parable of Jesus. But Jesus is not so gentle uh, that he's always patting us on the back. Uh, there is something here that stings uh, the heart of uh, almost every believer that uh, he's looking at each of us and he's saying, you too are someone who would like to see things purged. Uh, you too are people who come to me and say, can we uproot the weeds? Uh, I wonder if each of you could have some reflections on where you think this parable could go in, in sermon or in teaching, in uh, personal application or implementation or how does it speak to you? How does it speak to us in our world today? Let's start with Corey. Or is it Justin's turn? I think Corey can go. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I must confess that growing up in the world of every verse had to have a personal application first. I'm always, I've almost sort of rebounded, and now I'm always so cautious to jump to personal application. Um, well, I don't. Not I don't that wanna, it's a bad you know, thing. So I know yeah. what you're asking. I know what you're yeah. asking. But okay. that phrase always scares me. So yeah, uh, I don't like the word application either, but I think it works. Right. In churches, and it's much easier to do a topical sermon anyway yeah. than to try to actually preach scripture. But yeah. that was a little. Hopefully, anybody listening knows that was a joke. But uh, um, um, this parable, I, I have been thinking about this. How would I preach this? How would I share this? And I think. I mean, I think the theodicy angle is really helpful. I, Snodgrass says theodicy quite a few times. The, the statement that it was not an ecclesiology uh, was mine, sort of okay. inferring from him. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's helpful to draw out for those of us in the church, because we may know it, and it may seem very fundamental and basic, but it's usually the fundamental basic truths that we need to hear over and over again that there is evil in the world, that there is a, um, not a corpus mixtum, but there's a, a cosmos mixtum. There's like, there's <laughs> good and evil within the universe, even though the kingdom is here. And that's, that's what's so important to me is keep coming back to, this is a kingdom parable. Mm -hmm. This is what is the kingdom like. Yep, okay, so yep. we're walking in the kingdom. We have the ability to be good uh, fruit, good uh, wheat in the kingdom even though we're in the midst of ongoing brokenness. And that's a really good point. And then I think um, sort of reminding us that it is not a strategy uh, or it's, it's sort of a, implicitly against a strategy of triumphalism or trying to bring in the kingdom by rooting out the bads, the, the bads, the evil people. Um, it is, I mean, it is tricky because you can't obviously take this allegory too far because in the real world, there's no way for weeds to turn into wheat, and that's not an that's not a point Jesus is making here. Yeah. yeah so we definitely yeah. don't want to allegorize beyond what Jesus gives us. Okay, Corey, you're being um, 
Uh, you're being a little abstract, but, uh, so I'm going to ask you a pointed question. That's what I always do. <laughs> my neighbor is a, this is not true. My neighbor is a white nationalist mm. and he has KKK flags out and they're all over his fence. This is not true in where I live. I think, I think in fact, it would be illegal where I live, but let's just say that's the case. Does that mean that I, does this parable say uh, it's not your concern to worry about white nationalists who are overt racists and constantly yelling racial slurs. Uh, it's not your job to worry about that. You just be kingdom people. Is that what this parable is saying? No, I don't think so is my gut reaction. Uh, and that's, that's why I think it's important to remind us that the servants who are told not to sift it out yet are called the angels. So yeah. This is a parable about the delay of final judgment. Yeah. It's not recommending that we withhold judgment uh, in terms of discerning good and evil. I would say it is our concern. Uh, as for what that looks like in application in terms of this particular instance, uh, the parable certainly doesn't speak to that, but it doesn't say that we shouldn't do anything. Um, okay. That's a tricky uh, situation. And I always like to live in the abstract world because it's can be nice and clean and orderly up there. Well, I mean, I, I get, I get with you as a cheap application, but I don't think Jesus said this parable theoretically. So people could sit around and talk theoretically about it. I think that there is a profound attitude of Jesus towards mm -hmm. something going on yeah. in that world that he wants to stop. Uh, uh, how about you, Justin? What would you say? Yeah, I think when Jesus ends his interpretation and he brings up the Son of Man sending his angels and he talks about the fiery furnace and he talks about the righteous shining like the sun, you know, all of these as references to Daniel um, and the story of Daniel's life and Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. And the hope of Daniel is that God sends the Son of Man um, to begin this kingdom that starts small and then takes over the entire world. And this brings righteousness and the righteous will shine like the sun. And kind of like what Corey was talking about before is how do we believe that this kingdom comes in the person of Jesus? Or how do we believe that the kingdom exists and God is faithful to it if all of these evil things are happening. And I think it's just kind of a, a point, a pointing back to say it didn't look like when Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace that they were being, you know, that God was being faithful or that when these, when the kingdom comes, it doesn't necessarily seem like everything will be put to rights just because the kingdom is here, but we can rest faithfully that no matter what the nations do, no matter how oppressive they are, no matter what kind of evil seems to be among Israel, uh, we can take faith and have patience in God's work uh, in the world and through his people. And, uh, you know, to go to your example, when it comes to a white nationalist, um, it's not our job to force that white nationalist, you know, to obey what we think, even while we try to reach out to that white nationalist and help them understand the way of God. You know, that's not our job. That's not our place. Um, so I would, that's how I would see that working out in yeah, a church yeah. teaching 
uh, on the community level. So we would be peaceful. We would be loving. We would be gentle, but we would be firm in advocating for a different approach. Uh, but we would not, uh, we would not, uh, force, um, a KKK member out of, out of his KKK-ness, uh, <laughs> something like that. Uh, the, uh, the danger in all this, in this parable is that we would become so passive that we would tolerate what is intolerable, or mm. we would become so passive that we don't do anything about other situations that don't directly concern us. That's, that's the, the danger of this statement um, let these things grow until the end. We can wait till the end. God will sort things out. And, uh, and right now it's going to be really tough for some people, but that God's going to sort things out. That sort of explanation I don't think is consistent with the lifestyle and the teachings and the practice of Jesus in the early church. But at the same time, there is, a st- there is in a sense, a strategy. There's a, a way of life that would say we will do this in a different way. So, mm-hmm. well, you guys have been really good mm-hmm. with this. Well, and kind of, yeah, and go ahead. With it, I was going to say, um, uh, I think what's different about this parable than some other parables is it's not necessarily Jesus isn't calling his listeners into questioning their identity uh, of are they wheat or are they weeds? But he's saying, if you are wheat, um, I'm calling into question the way you act and the way you yes. live. Um, which is the stinging point that you kind of brought up. Each parable has a stinging point. He's not really calling them into question about who they are, but he's saying, if you are who you are, then you're expected to live with this world and in this world in a particular way. And that would have been hard to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, Chaz, over to you, but this is, uh, this was a really good conversation about this parable, which I find to be one of the most significant parables Jesus told. Uh, it's one that I've really enjoyed, uh, thinking about over the years. So Chaz, you have any observations? Uh, Boy, I know we're getting t- to the end of our time here. Yeah. You know, we were, you guys pulled out some amazing things and I think the the thing to just, if I could reinstate anything, restate anything, it would be um, the fact about proximity. And the, I think your, your observations about um, the fact that evil does exist in the world and, um, and our role still yet is to be who we are as the kingdom and the greater vision that Jesus paints for us throughout the new Testament um, and the gospels about what it means to, to live as the kingdom and that uh, we will face very real struggle and um, and our proximity to that is something that he calls us to as um, as living out the kingdom in the the here and now world that we live in so um, Justin Corey thanks for for joining us today and enjoyed your guys's perspective well thanks for having us yeah thanks a lot guys it's been thank great. you yeah, yeah great Thank you, listeners, for joining us again today. Hope this conversation was helpful for you and um, and getting to hear some different perspectives about this very important parable of Jesus. But um, thanks again for joining us. Make sure to subscribe on however you get your podcast so you can have more of our episodes coming your way. And uh, we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 